Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for our listeners. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right. If you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. To get started... All you have to do is click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Okay, let's get things started. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the week four college football betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Ready for a weekend, brother? It seems like every weekend we're talking about Razorback football. I mean, here we are again, a marquee game for the Hogs. I, I never dreamed we'd be at this point. Woo, pig suey. Listen, the narrative last week was double-digit favorites on the road. The narrative this week? I like a lot of home favorites, a lot of them. We will get to some of those. We will also get to some of the marquee games, uh, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Clemson, NC State. We'll go through a bunch of games that we like in the rundown. We'll talk some FCS or no. And uh, we'll, we'll talk Friday Night Lights, our favorite bets, just a lot to get to. But let's start where we always start, and that's uh, with a segment we like to call Look Ahead or Look Away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? All right, so for those not familiar, this is just a segment where we look at what is going to happen next week. You look at next week's slate and try and determine, okay, can a team potentially – get caught looking ahead will they pull their starters a little sooner than usual will they go vanilla 
either throughout the game or in the second half, yada, yada, yada. So let's take a look at a couple of these. We will start with Colorado State and Iowa. Iowa, you know, coming off uh, a very successful, a bit lucky, but you have to give them credit, start to the season with a couple big wins. They start conference play next week against Maryland. But first, they will take on Colorado State, fresh off of a upset win over Toledo, uh, a very impressive upset win as two touchdown underdogs at WinBet, the official odds provider of the Big Bets on Campus podcast. Colorado State's a 23-point underdog. I want Colorado State here. I mean, low total, over three touchdowns. I'm just waiting on that 24. What do you see here? Exactly. Tons of value on the number. It, it should be 20. If it gets to 24, it's a buy. Such a low total. You know, it gives it t- tons of value with this many scores. And the biggest mismatches in this game is really on finishing drives. Both Iowa and Colorado State are top 25 defensively. That's going to limit points beyond when drives go beyond the 40-yard line. And it's interesting that Iowa defensive players are commenting on Colorado State formations. Like, they run a 13 and 14 formation on 20% of the time. And Colorado State has a tight end that's going to get picked in the NFL draft. He's like one of the best tight ends that's going to be in the draft coming up. So, you know, this is something that Iowa's really had to focus and and put some, you know, some energy into is, is prepping for this. Both teams are going to have methodical drives. That means drives over 10 plays, but the finishing drives on defense is the biggest factor in this game. And you're right with that total. And the fact that there's going to be some stops in the red zone, 24 has a ton of value. So I'm going to wait, sit back and I'll take the Rams. Yeah. Maybe uh, some of that Iowa turnover regression uh, comes to benefit Colorado state staying in the big 10 Ohio state, which will open up its big 10. Well, I guess the second big 10 games just open the season with Minnesota but it'll take on Rutgers next week. The big news with Ohio State is C.J. Stroud will not play, will only be used in emergency situations, which means Jack Miller and uh, Kyle McCord will be used at quarterback. They're taking on Akron. They're at WinBet. They are 48-point favorites. Look, D.J. Irons has taken over for Akron at quarterback. Cato Nelson's been hurt. Dual threat. He's done some nice things. For Akron, but Akron still doesn't have an offensive line. Their defense is horrendous. Uh, I mean, some of the defensive stats are mind-boggling. They were down, I believe, third, uh, 40 to nothing at the half uh, against Auburn. I laid 31. Ohio State, first half, 31. This is a get-right game. From, I cannot see them not scoring on every possession. C.J. Stroud's out. Great. Maybe that affects the second half. It's like, all right, we got our reps in the first half, and they got to, all right, let's make sure that we're healthy with questions with Stroud. I I don't see Akron getting any stops in the first half. But I saw yeah. a play come across for you. Josh, man. <laughs> I was Akron. wondering. I was wondering where this is going to get. Listen, C.J. Stroud gets announced out of this game, and the spread has affected zero. And I think maybe – I think I, it might help my first half that. C.J. Stroud hasn't been great. C.J. Stroud, I mean, this is the opposite of Bryce Young, right? For 20-yard passes, 18, 18 attempts over 20 yards, he's had six big-time throws and one turnover-worthy play, and his adjusted completion percentage does not go down when he's pressured. So this, to me, is a big drop-off down to Kyle McCord, a true freshman, and Jack Miller, who appeared in two games last season. And you're right, the Akron defense is just completely lifeless. lifeless. So you have to wonder wonder if Ohio State's just going to run the ball off a ton. They are 22nd rushing EPA, and Trevion Henderson is 6.4 yards after contact. So, yeah, Ohio State's going to get a ton of points. There needs to be a blood sacrifice. But 
this is what's been in the back of my mind. They take Kerry Coombs off the field. They put him up in the press box. And so I want to go see if that affected Tulsa's success rate. And when I looked at the new Ohio State D with wrinkles and, and improved and efficiency, Tulsa exceeded national average in success rate on standard downs and by more than 20% in passing downs. They had like a 51% passing uh, success rate in passing downs. Half of Tulsa's drives had two plus first downs. Now, this is the Akron offense. I get it. And, th- and this is Akron. But there's no changes in the defensive success rate for Ohio State with Coombs moving up and then putting in wrinkles. There hasn't been a dip in the number with, with, with Stroud out. I think the number for Akron is good to 45 on the full game. I disagree there. I think uh, I think Ohio State's winning 66 nothing. All right, <laughs> Georgia State, <clears throat> Georgia State at Auburn. Auburn, you know, off that thrilling loss at Penn State, emotional game in the whiteout. They now come home and host Georgia State. Georgia State's catching 27. Auburn has LSU on deck. Well, you know, first of all. We're coming. Any questions? Look, here's my cap here is that Georgia State, they were supposed to have an explosive offense coming in. They were with Pinkney, their wide receiver. He was out with COVID. He's done nothing. His one catch on the year. Cornelius Brown was their quarterback coming into the year. He's been benched, and they're going with the uh, JUCO transfer, Granger. And I backed them last week against Charlotte and um, one of my few winners at night. They ran – they, they had a not like a nine minute drive. It was army esque. A couple fourth down conversions at eight, nine minutes off, off the clock. It was sexy. And that, that's what they become now. Granger hasn't really thrown it. The receivers aren't doing anything. Like Thrash is like their top receiver now. But the thing is, is that Auburn's run D has been really good. I mean, they shut down Penn State's rushing attack. Some metrics they lead the country, and I'm obviously a small sample size. Bo Nick season in full effect. And it's Bo Nick's season at home where he's usually pretty good. And if I go back and look at what Harson did against inferior opponents when he got a big lead, Akron, Alabama, A&M, or Alabama State, he kept base, he kept the two deep pretty much in the whole game, even though they were up by like 50. And he said, there was a quote of him saying like, look, these guys still need the reps. So I don't think this is a case where – you're going to see mass like third string and fourth string if they're up 30, 40, which hurts Georgia State. I just don't think it's a great matchup for them. If I get over four touchdowns, though, I'll take it. Uh, but at 27, might be a pass for me because of the matchup. Yeah, this is a play for me. I'm just trying to figure out which one it's going to be. I can't play them all because everything that I've heard from Brian Harson, what he said after yesterday's practice, yesterday being Wednesday, uh, and what I know about him at Boise State is that the best remedy from off of a big loss is to come out and throw up a, a blowout the next week. A Boise lost to BYU last year. They threw up 52 on Colorado State the next week before they traveled to the island after that. A loss to BYU in 2019 for Boise State. They threw up 52 on San Jose State the week before a big Wyoming game. Uh, this is an offense for Auburn that has Mike Bobo as the offensive coordinator who believes in stomping on insects and scoring 100 on them. 60 against Alabama State. 60 against Akron and Harson comes off the practice field yesterday on Wednesday. And he says, we need to create more explosive plays. I'm like, Whoa. And then I look at the depth chart, right? TJ Finley's had seven dropbacks this season. That's it. Seven dropbacks. I mean, he's a quarterback capable of producing some really big plays. 
I wouldn't touch Georgia State here. Harson saying we failed on a trick play at Penn State. We are going to continue to work on it in live play. I'm, I'm like he's going to throw the playbook at, at Georgia State, and and he wants explosive plays. And Mike Bobo loves to throw up a, a fifty burger. So over first half over Auburn team total over. I am deciphering which one of these it's going to be. Uh, check it out in the action app. But I mean Auburn's got a mission here. Yeah, it's a bad matchup for Georgia State's offense too, because that. Auburn front seven has been really strong. Next one, Alabama, who we who have beat two games in a row. Might be a record for me. A Mercer team total over in Florida last week. Alabama's laying 45 and a half at home against Southern Miss, who is just dreadful. Yuck. Hall ball uh, ain't working out. You know, Bama has Ole Miss on deck. From what I've seen from Bama and from Ole Miss, Ole Miss can win that game. I can't wait yeah. for that game. So what you have to think about here is Bama wants to stay healthy. They know how important that game is. They don't want to show much. But then again, they have stuff to work on, you know, in the trenches. And, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that came out of that Florida game. Saban's obviously going to be pissed. And I'm going to tell you what. If I had a barometer up your ass to say whether you were giving effort or not, it was about 50%. Why did you push yourself? If I were to bet this game, I can't. I don't, know, I don't think I can back Southern Miss here, but – Maybe if if they're down like forty one nothing at the half, this thing will die in the second half. Yeah, yeah, actually, you are you are correct. You are spot on. Uh, I think it's important to point out that Southern Miss's quarterback Trey Lowe is out. He won't play. Ty Keys, who started against Troy, he's going to do in this, and he had no his numbers. No, his numbers are terrible. I mean, four turnover worthy plays, no touchdowns, twenty yards on a designed run, and then had a fumble. Uh, the kid uh, that's going to be under center for Southern Miss is really bad. And, you know, crazy enough, the Southern Miss defense has actually been pretty good. I mean, you can say what they want about the teams that they played, but their defense is top seven in success rate, 10th in defensive havoc, and they're fourth in line yards. And, you know, Alabama can just absolutely blow them out of the water with the talent that they have in the backfield. But the tight are 100th in rush explosiveness, which is a little bit shocking to me. So we'll see how that works out. Brian Robinson, main running back, is day-to-day. You're going to see a lot of Jace McClellan in this game. Uh, he averages less yards after contact than Brian Robinson, so something to look out for. And, you know, the defense can be thrown on plenty. Uh, but, you know, what kind of look at is this for Bryce Young to work on a stat that we used in Florida last week? He's now 2 of 13 and passes over 20 yards. I mean, you called him captain check down. I'm, t- I'm saying he's the guy is scared to throw it downfield. And Saban was red hot pissed about the penalties going into the Florida game. They had 17 going into that game. Now they have 28. They're in the bottom 10 in the nation and flags and penalty yards per game. They need to get healthy game. This is it. Southern Miss defense isn't bad, but all this, like you said, leans to the under. Because once you get to the second half, what's the point in having Bryce Young and all these other guys in there? Under is the play down to 57. I think the best investment for me is if you're alive better, I'm going to wait for those first three, four, five series from Alabama to just go ape shit, and then I'll hit that under. Alabama 27-11 against the spread in the first half now in the uh, since 2018. And they, they barely won last week and still covered the first half. Um, <laughs> next game here, one of the weirdest games on the board. A game I can't wait to watch. West Indiana heading to the hill, visiting Bowling Green to take on Western Kentucky. You got a Power 5 program going to Western Kentucky. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. The pride of the Commonwealth. Oh no, hell no, boy. Man, y'all up and done it. Oh no, hell no, boy. Y'all up and done it. At Winbet, 
Indiana is a nine-point favorite over under 63. Look, Panix has been bad. I mean, he's 115th in adjusted completion percentage out of 121 quarterbacks, minimum 50 dropbacks. 92nd of 94 quarterbacks with at least 75. You know who's the only two that are worse? Mack at Old Dominion, who didn't even play last year, and uh, my guy Zergi Otis at UConn. Uh, Indiana, bottom 10 in pass blocking efficiency. We know there are struggles in the run game. Now, which is important here because, and by the way, Indiana, you know, coming off that Cincy game, they have Penn State next week. Now they travel to Western Kentucky, who's coming off of a bye. Zappy hour. Bailey Zappy. You know, they have the, this explosive offense in Zappy, and he doesn't get taught. He doesn't get touched at all. He doesn't get hit at all. I think they're Western Kentucky's number one in pass block efficiency. A lot of that has to do with scheme. But if I look at this game, Western Kentucky, I think, matches up pretty well. It's a great situational spot, probably the best one on the board. But they can't defend the run. Army ran all over them. Tennessee Martin averaged six yards per carry. But that's not Indiana's strong suit. And they can actually get after the quarterback, you know, and they have some talent in the secondary. So, and look, I don't know. Penix is going to play again, but he had x-rays again this week. I still don't know if his knee is healthy. He's making so many poor throws. Uh, it's insane. And part of that is the protection is breaking down. The only the only issue I have here is Western Kentucky, you know, it's a pass-heavy air raid offense that they adopt. We've talked about it many times. They adopted from Houston Baptist. Indiana does have a great secondary. Um, so, you know, part of me wants to look at this under, um, but playing a Western Kentucky under is yeah, it's uh, kind of scary. What do you see here? And the speed of the offense makes you a little scared because, you know, it's uh, they'll have 13 possessions in the first half. I mean, it's a, it's a little scary. And, and Penix will throw guys. two pick sixes, so that, don't, that and, won't help the under. And think about it. Who is the who likes to control the clock more than anybody in college football? Well, that would be Army. And Western Kentucky had no problems generating possessions and points in the second half against them. And, you know, that's where we start with Western Kentucky. They come off of a bye after Indiana blows the Cincy game. Uh, with a big look-ahead spot to Penn State. I mean, this is the spot of the week. And the Hilltoppers are – I mean, say what you want about explosive passing. I mean, they doubled the national average in sustaining drives against Army and tripled the explosive drive rate. That was shocking to me. A very impressive comeback and comer by the Hilltoppers against Army. They have the number one passing and third down offense in the country. Tom Allen mentioned this week that they had Cincinnati in tons of third and longs, and they just collapsed. Uh, the defense just wasn't getting off the blocks fast enough, and that's something that he was working on with them this week. Indiana's outside the top 75 in coverage and defensive finishing drives. That is a terrible combination against Bailey Zappi. Western Kentucky is 20th in punching it in once they get past the 40-yard line, and they pass on 64% of the snaps. So you really have to focus what Indiana does from a coverage perspective. You know, Stuck mentioned it. Uh, Western Kentucky, pretty atrocious in a lot of defensive categories. 129th in line yards. You can push them around. 112th in finishing drives. If you get close, you're going to get points on the board. <sighs> we don't know if Penix can uh, capitalize on this. He had an X-ray on his hand, came back clean, says he's going to play. We're going to talk about DJ Uyunglele, but these two, they're just having timing issues. They're having accuracy issues. Like, when's it going to be? I don't know if his knee up? is half fully healthy. Yeah, and – Listen, the Hilltoppers can win this game outright. Let's just get to the yeah. belt. The Hilltoppers can win this game outright. Uh, it's 10 points. Uh, as far as the total goes, it's 10 points higher than my projection. So your initial thinking of like where this total should be, it is too high. But at the same time, 
when you're fielding a defense that's worse than the nation in, in the red zone and you're fielding an offense that's second and you know top five in tempo, it's tough to take it's tough to take an under there. So yeah, uh Western Kentucky. I'm I want the 10, but good round robin piece. We'll talk about that on our live show, round robin money line piece, uh on Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, big bets on campus live. Saturday live on Twitter. All right, last one here, Kentucky at Winbat, a five-point favorite at South Carolina. Kentucky barely escaped Chattanooga at home. They looked awful. Needed a pick six late. They escaped by one possession at home. They are now off to a 3-0 start. Now they go to South Carolina where Luke Doty, I think, is going to start. They better not. This is a classic Kentucky loss, by the way. I just I saw this before the year. I said if they beat Missouri, they're going to end up going to South Carolina and losing. They have Florida and LSU on deck at home. Can Stoops keep them focused? Now, one thing that I that makes me a little hesitant, like I don't see much value in this line. I think it's a great spot for South Carolina, but I think barely escaping Chattanooga actually helps Kentucky. Because now you can, you know, if they beat Chattanooga 50 to nothing, you're 3-0. They barely escaped that game. Um, I was talking to some of the Kentucky offensive linemen, and they got some shit for that. So I think that actually could be a refocus spot and get Kentucky kind of lasered in here. Thoughts? Yeah, it's definitely a discount on Kentucky against the South Carolina team that you could, you know, argue, you know, the level of competition that they played. Wildcats, a one-possession victory over Mizzou and UT Chat. I mean, the mocks were neck and neck with Kentucky in yards per play and explosive drives. Uh, one area scaring me off of UK is the turnovers. The turnovers. I mean, we can talk about the offensive line, but the turnovers are a problem. Four interceptions and 10 fumbles. Now, you're not going to hear about Kentucky having 10 fumbles because they recovered six of them. I mean, only four of them were taken by the defense, but they have lost the ball. 10 times. And that is something to really have an eyebrow raise on. And S and, and who leads the sec in turnovers right now, South Carolina, believe it or not, they lead the nation in takeaways. You know, Will Levis leads a, a Kentucky attack. that's 11th in passing success rate, but the South Carolina coverage grade on the defense is also 11th and their pass rush is grading out to fifth in the country. And like I said, I know the level of competition that South Carolina has played, but defensively they are still an sec worthy defense. It's the offense. that's always had those problems. Uh, but, you know, finishing drives, I think, dictates this game. Not only is the, the, the tempo going to be super slow, but both teams are outside the top 90 in, in plays per minute. And South Carolina is fifth in defensive finishing drives, 105th in offensive finishing drives. I don't expect a lot of points. I think first half under is the way to play. All right. Yeah, I can't I can't disagree with you there. Um, I might join you on that first half under, which means there'll be – if I do that, there'll be 40 points in the first half and zero in the second. Thanks, Boise. <laughs> Um, all right, moving on to the best games of the weekend. Let's talk some marquee matchups. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week four. All right, we got three marquee matchups to get to for this weekend, and we're going to start with your hogs at WinBet. Arkansas is a five point underdog in Arlington against Texas A&M over under 46 and a half. All right. I usually defer to you when it comes to Arkansas. I'm going to share my thoughts. I dug into this game for hours because I was so wrong on Arkansas last week. And then I was like, man, I got, 
how much do I have to bump Arkansas? What what is going on with Texas A and M? I saw you put a bet in on Texas A and M. I sent you a link to their shop. I hope you got some yeah. good Texas A and M gear. Um, <laughs> no. I I actually after digging into this game, and I'm so curious to hear your thoughts. I think Arkansas is going to win. So that's oh, good my. for you. That's good for your bet, but bad for Arkansas, since my reads on Arkansas this year have not been good. But, look, I looked into this Arkansas defense. That's the biggest difference. Like, if their offensive line is obviously playing really well, we have to get to two of their, you know, especially their, at center. Is he going to play Ricky Stromberg and then their tackle? That's something to, to keep in mind that I'll let you speak to. But their offensive line is playing really well. And the defensive line, I mean, that's what I've been most impressed with. They've they bulked up. They seem to just got stronger. Everyone's playing so much better on the defensive side. And, you know, they brought in at Ridgeway from Illinois State. I think yeah. he's been a huge difference maker, uh, you know, with that 3-3-5 adding bulk up front. Because they have, they've always had talent on the back end, but they've just been so small um, up front. And, you know, I, it's, you know, you, you, I like Montaric Brown at corner. Grant Morgan's obviously a stud. Catalan on the back end. They have players. And this 3-3-5 is just yeah, watching some Arkansas games so well-schooled. And they throw out a lot of different looks that I think could confuse Calzada. And I, I was digging into the, some of the numbers. Why is Texas A&M's offense below national average in EPA? And they've played uh, EPA per play. And they've played uh, Kent State, Colorado, New Mexico. And we saw Colorado just get boat raced by the row the boats uh, in Minnesota. So uh, I'm like, what is wrong? And it's the offensive line. They're 90th in efficiency they're moving all of these guys around they have one stud in green who's played a guard and tackle bryce foster true freshman at center he's really struggled and you know calzada's only c- completed 51 percent of his passes he has more turnover worthy throws than big time throws and again against kent colorado new mexico he seems a little just off and now you have chapman their receivers hurt their best receiver and smith is questionable he's a great returner too he's just a playmaker they do so much with him i, I mean even weidemeyer who's supposed to be one of the best tight ends in college he's done nothing this year the mm-hmm. offense is just completely broken and this arkansas defense is legit i dug into this for a long time and i'm like holy shit how's this defense is so much better <laughs> than last year so i, I think what's going to happen and, and by the way the, the arkansas offense has been good but they're the Texas A&M defense is elite, so I don't see Arkansas really killing A&M with a lot of explosive plays. They're going to have to get the run game going. And the other side, I think that Jimbo's going to say, "This is we have to run the ball. We have to get our run game going." They're going to play slow. They're going to play ultra conservative. Arkansas's playing slower. You have some injuries on Texas A&M's offense, offensive line issues. You have some. Uh, potential offensive line injuries on Arkansas, but that Texas A&M defense is elite. I mean, they're not they're not letting up anything to anybody. Give me the under. That was the play that I like here. I think it's going to be, you know, it's on a faster track, but I think there's going to be two teams that are going to be playing slow, playing a little cautious, uh, and the Arkansas defense, I think, is the most underrated unit in this game, and I think the Texas A&M offense is the most overrated. I don't trust Calzada yet. Oh, great. He's just—he's new, but I mean, just from what I've seen, a lot of it's not just on him though. Wide receiver injuries and the offensive line—they've had to replace four starters—is a mess. So I wouldn't be shocked if Arkansas wins this game, and then all of a sudden, man, the hype 
Woo, it's uh, woo, pig suey, I should say. So, but uh, my favorite play in this game is the under. Take it away. Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Four ranked opponents in the row. It'd be pretty amazing to get this first one here uh, so I could get my bowl plans uh, figured out for December. Listen, the injury bug is what started this for me with this Texas A&M. And the more that I got down on it, uh, you know, Texas A&M, the only one that's hurt for them really from an explosive weapon perspective is Aeneas Smith. Uh, when you look at other, you know, positions, you know, with Isaiah Spiller and our, uh, I don't want to say his name wrong, De- Devin O'Shane. Devin O'Shane. Um, so, you know, for Arkansas, it's just a much bigger list of players that are injured. Running back Traylon Smith, it's not being talked about, but he's having shoulder Non-contact, issues. right? He was running non-contact jersey. He's today. running non-contact today. Uh, he separated shoulder, turf toe that's not being talked about. Uh, when you look at Traylon Burks, I know everybody's like, well, he just had a 91-yard TD run, uh, and he's, you know, and, and he looks healthy, and he was in a boot before the Rice game, and he looked rusty. Uh, we covered that here on the podcast, but guess what? He showed up to his NIL deal this week in a boot. Uh, he wasn't in a boot last week. And when he was asked flat out, why are you in a boot? Oh, just for precautionary reasons. Well, can you take your boot off for the pictures? And she goes, nope. Coach says I can't take the boot off for any reason. And that's not been talked about anywhere. Like, no one, I, I don't understand that whatsoever. But the big. You're, you're help building my under case, by the way. I agree with you on the under. I, de- I definitely agree with you there, especially in the first half. And there's reasons, the things that you brought up where you have questions about Texas AM, I think there's legitimate reasons about what's going on there. But the big news is the offensive line. Dalton Wagner, the tackle, Ricky Stromberg, our center. Ricky Stromberg is ranked fifth of all centers in FBS and run blocking. Ricky Stromberg is number five. And that is, and he was, he's also right now, currently the SEC offensive lineman of the week. This is a really big deal to an Arkansas team that runs 68% of the time. Our best explosive running back is hurt. Our star center, one of the best in all of college football may not play. Now, Stromberg and, and, and Wagner did just, they just came off as we record this, they just came off the practice field, but today was like a no contact, non full speed. So that that's not, you know, I, if they're playing in their full speed and they're healthy, this is a different handicap to me, but if they're not healthy and Traylon Burks is not healthy, then absolutely. This is, I mean, it's worth a major adjustment in my opinion. So, you know, I, I I'm going to wait to reserve judgment until I figure out if Stromberg is, is, is good to go. Uh, I believe that announcement is supposed to come on Friday afternoon. So we'll see. So I'm not sure if I'll buy out of it. I, I, I don't think I will because there are things with Texas A&M that I actually like. The key to Texas A&M is to get Arkansas into passing downs. KJ Jefferson has a passer rating 40 NFL passer rating 40 points lower when he's in a pressured pocket. And Texas A&M has edge rushers, uh, you know, Harris, DeMarvin Leal. Uh, they can contain KJ. And the Arkansas defense has been fantastic. And, and you can't take away what they've done because they said against Texas, we're going to eliminate Bajon Robinson. They did that. They singled out Justin Tomlin for Georgia Southern. They did that. But the issue here is there's so many explosive weapons for Texas A&M. And, you know, this is Kazada's second start. The Colorado was just kind of thrown in with the Haynes King injury. So I kind of give a pass on what his plays were there. But don't forget, he just faced a 3-3-5 defense for the first time, which is not an easy thing for a quarterback. He did that against Danny Gonzalez, Rocky Long with New Mexico last week. So that's the first time that he's seen that. Now he's going to see similar zone coverage with Arkansas on passing attempts. And so the one thing that I couldn't figure out is what's going on with this Texas A&M offense because you have so many explosive playmakers. And I went back and not just the O-line. 
I went back and looked at the rate of how many times they're throwing screens and how many times they're throwing play action pass a huge part of the Jimbo Fisher playbook. It's at an extremely much lower rate than what Jimbo had in previous years with Kellen Mond. So now the question is, is can Calzada run it? And if he can, have you been holding out until this Arkansas game? And so I think it's been by design that they have kept a ton of things off film. When Calzada has thrown it deep, he hasn't done too bad, but there has not been play action and screens whatsoever. And you mentioned Widmeyer. He's, I mean, that guy is, I think, in his ninth year. We've lost to Texas A&M nine years in a row, and I think it's because Jalen Widmeyer has, has has gained six touchdowns in each one of those games. Like, he is, he's the kryptonite to Arkansas Razorback football. So the Arkansas defense, we just we can't single out one weapon. I mean, even with Aeneas Smith out there, there's Devin Oshane, there's Isaiah Spiller, and then, you know who's only had, like, two catches this year? Demon De- Demon Demas. Demas, and that guy's yeah. yeah. Demas is like a walking stick of dynamite, and he's only had two targets. I, I I think they have been holding so much off of film. The Jimbo Fisher playbook with the play action, the screen has been at a, such a lower rate. I think we're going to see a lot of that. If Strombergs and Burks and Traylon Smith aren't full speed, this game could be ugly. Now I may come back if Stromberg is fully a go and he's fine. It's a different story. But listen, they're going to keep K- KJ in the pocket. And when he's in passing downs, it's been atrocious. So I like Texas A&M here. Elite defense, you're right. But the first half unders, a look too. All right, let's move on to the second marquee game of the weekend. And that is a game that will be played in Soldier Field. Notre Dame and Wisconsin at WinBet. Wisconsin's a six-and-a-half-point favorite over under 45 this is a joke that I, I couldn't get this line at a better number. I was tweeting out. I just want this at uh, under a field goal, which I think it's where it opened. And within like a minute, sweating NFL and up to six. I, I, I threw Wisconsin in a couple money line parlays. Uh, I love this matchup for them. I think Notre Dame is finally going to get exposed. I mean, this is a team that bear, that escaped Florida State in overtime. Right, what's Florida State done since? They lost to Jacksonville State and got the doors blown off by Wake Forest. Barely escaped Toledo. At home, what's Toledo do the next week? Lose to Colorado State. They play Purdue. David Bell goes out late, and they get a late, you know, they get a late stop in a game that could have went either way. I mean, Notre Dame has not been impressive. Why? Well, they had to replace a lot. Uh, their corners are really raw. They have a converted wide receiver playing one corner. I mean, Hamilton is just a monster. I love him. He's going to be a successful. Bro. I love watching him play. Uh, the other safety spots questionable. And the biggest thing they've had linebacker injuries. The biggest thing is their defensive line. They have some guys who can get after the passer, but. They've struggled against the run. Last week, I know they were good. Purdue can't run the ball, people, uh, and they were missing their top back. They're on the other side of the ball. It's the offensive line. The offensive line is a mess, and they had to replace four out of five offensive line starters. This is, one of, this is a team that had you know, as little returning production as almost anyone in the country in a year where everyone has a ton of returning production. So they had a, they had a lot to replace, a lot of talent, a lot of NFL talent. I think that all gets exposed this weekend. Uh, in the Jack Cohn revenge game, don't matter. Um, and uh, I mean, what's going to happen is I think Wisconsin's going to be able to control the line of scrimmage and establish the run and just churn drives and just sustain long drives and eventually just wear down this Notre Dame defense on the other side of the ball. You have Jim Leonard, who's just going to be a head coach one day, um, who I love. He's had two weeks to prepare for this game. He gets his best player back, his middle linebacker, Chanel, who's their havoc creator. He hasn't played yet this season. He's back. Their linebackers are excellent. And they're going to take – Notre Dame can't run the ball, by the way. Um, mm. We can't run the ball at all. 
They've had like a couple 50-yard broken runs. Um, and this is against Florida State and Toledo and Purdue. They can't run the ball. So what's going to happen here, and they've been, they've been throwing a lot to their backs. I think their backs have like 20, their two backs, Williams, uh, and, and his back about like 22 catches combined. Wisconsin has the linebackers and the defensive line to stop the run. I mean, Notre Dame's run stops itself. And to guard the backs in the passing What's going to happen here? Notre Dame is going to be in third and long the entire game. And Leonard is just going to dial up pressure from everywhere. Cone is a statue and he's not, this isn't Ian book being able to scramble out of trouble. And Ian book always played behind elite offensive lines, but he also had, you know, some motor skills. Um, It's just, I think it's setting up as a nightmare for Notre Dame Uh, unless Mertz comes out here and just, takes that just has diarrhea all over soldier field which he's done before possible right (laughs) um it's certainly in the cards then i think that wisconsin has this game they win by more than a touchdown i actually project this over touchdown yeah i think it's setting up for a uh a long day for notre dame yeah this was a game that i wrote about in may i hit this game uh was the first game of the year i played which was wisconsin minus three and a half knowing they were coming off of a buy and all the negativity i had around notre dame and when that thing opened you know there was a lot of hungry mouths to feed uh using that line whenever these openers came out during nfl on sunday and yeah this is the jack cone bowl but i mean i feel bad for jack cone when i start looking at these numbers he's been sacked 15 times He's had 42 pressures and 118 dropbacks. <laughs> the kid is just like in a New York City subway train. Like, I mean, he's got 100 people around him all the time trying to play quarterback. The Badgers defense was the best against explosiveness in 2020. Right now, the Badgers are 12th against run explosiveness and their top 10 in defensive success rate. The defense has continued to do what they did in 2020. So doing a little bit of a deep dive on Graham Mertz, it's very interesting that he has one zone on the passing grid that he loves to hit all the time. It's like he went out to his grill and cooked all his burgers in one spot, like all on top of each other. Like I've never seen anything like this in my life. More passes in between the hashes, zero nine yards and all the other grids combined. And so what that tells me is, is Kyle Hamilton is going to have a huge day lining up at safety, staying in between the tackles, 12 yards off the ball. He's going to be an animal in there. Uh, and if Graham Mertz, if that's the only thing that he's comfortable with doing and throwing, this is going to be a big day by Kyle Hamilton. I mean, so, you know, I'm a little nervous about Wisconsin scoring, uh, you know, especially with this tendency where Graham Mertz will only throw to the one spot that Kyle Hamilton is going to be. I'm going to stick with the Badgers as the bet. I think that's the side. I think it's seven. You guys start questioning Notre Dame, maybe not by Wisconsin as much, but the play is first half under Notre Dame's offense. Isn't going anywhere. They're going to be third and long all day. And if Graham Mertz is only comfortable throwing directly where Kyle Hamilton is, it's going to be a long day for Graham Mertz. So first half under for me, maybe something changes at the halftime adjustments, make things better for Wisconsin to get the cover, but definitely first half under. Love it. All right, let's move on to the last marquee game of the weekend, and that's Clemson at NC State at Winbet. Clemson is a 10-point favorite over under 47 and a half. Uh, when I first looked at this game, we both uh, we agree on this game. Shockingly, I thought I was going to be on NC State, and uh, I thought you were going to be on NC State. I saw a play come across to you on the app playing Cubs, and I also was seeing if this would go down. It was going to go down. I was like, nope, it's not coming down. So I I, I played Clemson. After digging into this game, look, I'll tell you, the Clemson offense is disgusting right now. There's not much to love about it. DJ Ugalele has been awful. 
Uh, his adjusted completion percentage is, is down there with Penix. The offensive line is at trouble. I mean, their yards per game, they're below USF, one spot below USF, where their uh, ex-co-offensive coordinator, Jeff Scott, is, who's starting a, a true freshman now, quarterback. You know, but I looked into this offense, and everything is pretty ugly. The defense is elite. The defense has – the offense has given up 12 points. They've given up a safety, a pick six, and a field goal after a fumble. So the offense has allowed 12 points. The defense has allowed nine, three field goals. You have to allow a touchdown. Um, this defense is dominant. And I'm digging into this game. And this is the exact offense that Clemson is built to stop. Uh, I don't see NC State doing anything offensively. By the way, this is a team that ran it, what, 20 times for 30 yards or something against Mississippi State. They couldn't run it against Mississippi State. They're not going to be able to run it here. This is a, you know, a basic rushing attack and a you know a pro style offense and Dennis Leary struggles to really throw it you know to the seat into the sidelines he struggles to get the ball through he's going to throw some picks in this game uh he's going to be under pressure and NC State's not going to be able to run it it's going to get him into pass situations this Clemson defense is nasty on the other side of the ball why do I trust Clemson laying down that well some of these teams that are struggling at the top it's very odd Ohio State Oklahoma, Al, like everyone looks pretty bad. These spread offenses, there's defenses that are catching up to them. You're seeing a lot more 3-3-5s to count of the spread. When it comes to NC State, they've been playing a 3-3-5 for the last couple of years. But here's what happened last week. Three things why I like Clemson, what happened last week. Number one, it's a huge wake-up call for them. I mean, they're going to get their ass kicked in practice this week. Just like that North Carolina game when they barely won a couple of years ago. Clemson had to survive a, a two-point conversion at the end. The next week they came out and they just beat everyone by 40 for the next couple weeks. Um, but number two, it also showed Clemson. It also, you know, got, we got them at a low point here, I think. This is like, the I think, the bottom of the market on Clemson. What happened with Georgia Tech, who shut down the Clemson offense? They played a 3-3-5 last week. They played three. They dropped eight. Now, it is concerning that with a lighting delay, Clemson still couldn't run the ball. Very perplexing. And they couldn't figure it out. But they weren't – Georgia Tech's never played a 3-3-5 before. They, they had a completely different game plan. But they got to see the 3-3-5, which is what NC State runs this week. So that was a great preparation game. Great game to go back, look at the film, and be like, all right, this is what we did wrong. The other thing – is that this NC State defense, which was pretty good last year, lost a lead McNeil to the NFL, which is their big tackle. We talked about how important that is for Arkansas's defense. He's no longer there. And then they lost their best player on defense, season-ending injury, uh, in Peyton Wilson, who's their linebacker, who's just all over the field and making plays. I think they're really going to miss him. A safety, a Florida State transfer, who played, I think, 30 games for Florida State. Fagan, who also went out for the year. Not that big, but hurts their depth at safety. So I think what's going to happen here is – DJ gets unleashed running the ball, and it's going to open up the offense. Clemson's going to have a better plan of attack for this defense, and I think Clemson completely shuts down the NC State offense. So I I like Clemson at anything under 10. It also just feels like a Clemson blowout. Feels like the stock dip has gone a little bit too far on Clemson here. Uh, you yeah. know, the, I think uh, there's two things that I wanted to dive heavy into because you and I recorded on Sunday about how awful Clemson is. And I I just couldn't get over, like, why is this team's – how can you just be so awful with the kind of recruiting and the kind of talent that you have? 
So, and especially with DJ proving it last year at that game at Notre Dame, I mean, that's not a great, I mean, start your career there and do just fine, put up Trevor Lawrence numbers. What the heck is going on here? So I did some deep diving. I want to know what's going on with the offensive line issues. What's going on with DJ Uyunglele. Uh, and I, the more I dug into it, the more I started to warm up to Clemson. The offensive line was adamant after the Georgia Tech game that it's not talent and it's not work ethic. It's simply a matter of communication. Three of Clemson's offensive line rank in the bottom 200 of all FBS linemen in pass blocking. That is horrible. I mean, that includes linemen at Akron. That includes linemen at UMass. Three in the bottom 200. And there was an incident on the sidelines. It's not being talked talked about a lot. But running back Lynn J. Dixon came off the field, and the offensive line collectively got in his face. And, you know, it's not being reported. Yeah, it wasn't, it's not being reported what was said. But I'm assuming a, a missed blocking assignment for one of the tackles on the outside is exactly what started that entire thing. And next thing you know, Lynn J. Dixon is in the transfer portal on Tuesday. So the offensive line was adamant that it's just communication. And once those communication problems are fixed, this is going to be the same offensive line at Clemson. So I'm confident that they're going to get that figured out. They know that they're all eyes are on them. And that whole tearing into Lynn J. Dixon after a passing play where a assignment was missed, I think that really kind of says where this Clemson offensive line is. They're in this. They're, their head's in this. And, and while, you know, they look to improve, their havoc allowed is 93rd. And Dabo went to bat on DJ and his presser this week saying, this kid needs reps. He just needs reps, maximum number of reps. And so when you go back and think about it, like Justin Ross didn't play last year and he didn't play half a training camp. Like he wasn't cleared for the longest time to, to, to know if he was even going to be able to play this year. You look at Joseph Degata, he just had one catch from DJ in that Notre Dame game last year. You go back and watch film. DJ is just, he's twitchy in the pocket. He, he, he's just a little bit too excited. He's missing spots uh, on his receivers, a little bit too high, a little bit too in front of them. Uh, and that's why you have Dabo out here saying reps, 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 everything will be fine. So everyone on the Clemson side is saying it's just a matter of time before the offense is absolutely bombing again. Now, who's going to run the ball? They got a stable of running backs they're going to go through. We'll see which one is. They do have a couple candidates that have had explosive runs other than Will Shipley. So we'll see where that goes. Now, it's worth mentioning that for NC State and all their returning players and all their returning experience, they're 113th in pass rush. You want to get the Clemson offensive line healthy on their communication? Give him this NC State defensive line that's 113th in pass rush. You want DJ to not feel the pressure to take his time to get the ball out? This is a perfect defensive line to do it against. And this is the same team that went to Mississippi State, you know, and, and, and just choked. They didn't execute whatsoever. Three offensive turnovers, allowed a special teams touchdown, a handful of trips into the red zone with no points whatsoever. They didn't execute uh, at all. And, and so this, you know, and then you look at the Clemson D, they haven't allowed an explosive drive all season. And if you want to know how great the Clemson D is, if you've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years, two years ago, Stucky and I were talking about available yards. Available yards is you get the ball at the 20, your available possible yards you can get is 80, right? And we were freaking out about Alabama two years ago because they were getting like 80 to 90% of available yards in every single game. I've never seen a defense do this before, ever. Clemson right now is allowing 14% of available yards to their opponents. <laughs> that is insane. The national, the national average is 40%. They're allowing 14%. NC State is getting nothing here. They failed to execute against Mississippi State in a big road spot. 
Uh, they're going to fail here to get any points on the board whatsoever. And just call me a believer that with that soft pass rush, DJ and the offensive line is going to figure it out. Yep, completely agree. Uh, I think Clemson either wins 41-7 or they lose outright. If it's that big of a mess and they can't figure out anything on offense, which I can't imagine they can't figure out anything with all of the talent that they have. But if they get back behind early and this crowd with that their offensive line issues, that's what you have to worry about. But I, I can't see NC State doing anything on offense. I'm laying it under 10. All right, that wraps up our marquee games of the weekend. Before we continue, a quick reminder to our listeners, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook. They've got a great sign-up offer for you guys this season. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right. If you open a WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states, $1,000. So take advantage of this WinBet offer just click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's get back to the show. Let's do a quick rundown here. If you want to maybe slow the pocket down. Here's a ramble on quarterback notes to keep in mind. We already went over Ohio State. Houston, Clayton Toon, eh, iffy. By the way, I'm taking – I have to take Navy catching 20. Uh, trip. Triple option team catching three touchdowns. Clayton Toon banked up. Navy off a of bye. Desperate. I like it. Uh, Washington State. Delora, he's hurt. Is it Cooper? Is it Guarantano? Is it Gabalus? Washington State's a mess right now. Same with Northwestern. Hunter Johnson has to be the most overrated, overhyped recruit of all time. He is awful. He might go again. Marty came in and played well against Duke. He got hurt. Halinski's still there. Northwestern's a disaster. I had to take Iowa plus 14 and a half. Oh, my God. It's so ugly. But I, I make it under 10. Isaiah Cox comes back for the first time this season for Ohio. Uh, that's at noon. That's going to be scary. But uh, I had to play it. Oregon, Anthony Brown should be good to go. Florida, Anthony Richardson should be good to go. Tennessee, Milton, they're still not saying. If Hooker goes, I'll play Tennessee here. Hooker's so much better. Why do they keep playing Milton? Any thoughts there? Oh, completely agree. Hendon Hooker's a bye. Miami, King is doubtful. They play Central Connecticut State. UAB now there's an or. Johnson or Dylan Hopkins. Johnson got pulled last game. Georgia Tech, it's Yates or Sims. Middle Tennessee State, Hockman left. I think his wife, girlfriend got pregnant. He left the program. Chase Cunningham's now QB1 for the Blue Raiders. USC, it looks like back to Slovis. Dart is hurt. So quick rundown for me. I'll, I'll bat some of my thoughts off of you. You let me know. And then if you want to run down some games, you can. I played Illinois plus 11. It's so gross going to Belima here. But uh, David Bell, I don't think it's going to play. His backup is hurt. It's just enormous for a team that can't run the ball. Their running back's already out. They have some injuries on defense. Their best corner is out off of a physical game against Notre Dame. Hamilton lit Bell up. I cannot see him playing. He's so important to this offense. And the road team, for whatever reason, owns the series. They've won eight of nine. Last year, Purdue won, beat Illinois by seven. They had needed a miraculous catch by Bell late. I don't think he plays. Illinois is not good. But, you know, they beat Nebraska. They should have beat Maryland. I mean, they got outplayed by Maryland, but they were right there. They get a really important piece back this week, uh, and that's Weston Kramer, their center. And he's one of the best centers in the country. They like to obviously run the ball a lot. I think it's just too many points here. In, a, in an Illinois game, Purdue in a bad spot, really banged up. David Bellinger is huge. Any thoughts there? Agree or disagree? 
Yeah, I think the number is spot on because of the David Bell injury. And Illinois has a big advantage in special teams. I just worry that this Purdue defense is, you know, 22nd defensive rushing success rate. Uh, that's big against the Illinois team. And then if you look at the offensive side of the ball, Purdue is predominantly pass, 57% pass. And that's bad because Illinois is 121st in passing defensive passing success rate. Uh, I don't know. It's a no play for me. Yeah, I mean, Purdue's run defense has been very good which is a bit scary here. And yeah, Illinois' pass defense uh, is bad. They can get after the quarterback, but Purdue is just quick passes. But without David Bell, it's a it's a much different attack. Georgia Southern, uh, we're back to the well with Georgia Southern people. Uh, it took them plus 14 against Louisiana. Uh, conference opener at home. Don't care. Triple option team catching two touchdowns or more, especially in conference. I'm there. Do you hate that? You're really asking me about this coach? Scared money don't make money, you know? He's never getting named on this on this podcast ever again. I love Georgia Southern. I love Justin Tomlin. Don't look at their numbers because Justin Tomlin hasn't been there and Arkansas is a legit defense. <laughs> the Louisiana, ULL, 103rd in defensive line yards. And they are not defending. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to let up on you guys, Raging Cajuns. You're 129th in tackling. That is poor coaching. That's just a reflection of your coach. So, yes, I'm all with you on Georgia Southern. Yeah, Amari Jones was hurt last week against Arkansas, too, one of their backs. And J.D. King, who was their lead back coming in the year, he didn't play. Not that it would have made a difference against Arkansas, but it could make a difference in this game. He practiced on Sunday. He will play for the first time. Uh, so Georgia Southern will have their quarterback back in a full backfield, uh, a fully healthy backfield. And they should have beat UL last year, too. A little revenge spot for Georgia Southern after an embarrassing loss. I think they'll be ready here. I played I, – I want to play. I haven't played it yet. Nebraska plus five. I cannot get over just the mistakes they make. Maybe Sparty's this good, but this is a massive adjustment. I know Kenneth Walker has been great, but they did it against Northwestern and they did it against Young Young State. Northwestern stinks out loud. But and they then I look at Miami, they couldn't run it last year. Michigan State, they're one of the worst rushing teams in the country. I look at what he did last week. He had like 170 yards, like 158 of them came after contact. He's broke. He broke. He leads the country in broken tackles. Like Miami just didn't tackle him. And Peyton Thorne's been good. He doesn't make mistakes. But they're not really throwing downfield. The Michigan State pass defense is bad. I mean, they play really off of you, and they give you a lot underneath, and then it's kind of bend, don't break. Nebraska, look, they look really good against Oklahoma. They don't miss two field goals and then get an extra point blocked in return for two. They could win that game. They just keep making mistakes, though. Like they, they had two touchdowns called back against Buffalo. The special team's mistake. Can they clean that up here? I just can't get to this number. I see some value in Nebraska, but it, it scares me. Maybe Michigan State is just this good. I, I don't know. Any thoughts here? If Adrian Martinez continues to produce clean box scores and really productive box scores like he did against OU, they're going to start covering games. And I was really impressed because my big worry with that game, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that won for us on the show on Saturday, but you know, OU was number one in the nation and taking the ball away and forced fumbles. And the fact that Adrian Martinez got through that game, like unscathed and covering and actually challenging, that's a really big deal. This Michigan State defense is 67th and defending with the and rushing success rate. I've been told that Adrian Martinez has been allowed to do whatever he wants. He can take off from the pocket whenever he wants. He's been given the green light and shit. Why not right now with the state of the Nebraska program? Why not? So yeah, I'm, this number should be two. It shouldn't be five. It shouldn't be four and a half. It should be two. So, yeah, Nebraska all the way. All right, two yes or no's here. Uh, are we playing USF against BYU after three 
Pac-12 wins in an awful spot with a, you know, a tr- an in-state. But that I mean, USF by the way is starting uh, a true freshman quarterback who uh, go look at his numbers. They're not great. Are we playing USF? I mean, USF was catching twenty-eight at Florida. Now they're catching twenty-three at BYU. I mean, it was at home, but I mean, still. But I don't know if I could stomach it. But this time, I, it's an awful spot for BYU. Yeah, absolutely. Got super lucky against Arizona State. Yeah, two big ones in a row. You got to come down at some point. What? No matter what the emotional uh, and maturity makeup of your team is, you have to come down from some point after Utah and Arizona State. Number I make it 21 and a half. I know SP plus is at 25. Uh, so we're kind of right there in that little sweet spot. If you guy, listen, you've already spent your token on South Florida. I don't know if you're trying to get me to spend my token on South Florida. <laughs> I, I can't get on this team, man. It's bad. All the numbers are red. They're just so bad. Maybe if I can get over 24, I'll look. Um, yep. So hopefully it doesn't move up. Minor Nation. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up at home off a of bye, getting healthier against New Mexico. It looks like there's some money. I don't know if it's dummying it. It hasn't really crossed any key numbers, but UTEP was like a two and a half point favorite. I think New Mexico is a one point favorite now. Minor nation and a little little regional rivalry here. Are we going? Are we hitting UTEP? Crazy enough, this is a number that I make New Mexico to be favored by two. I mean, they're still extremely successful in passing success rate. I mean, they're top 20 in the nation. And, I mean, New Mexico does have a good coverage rank, top 30 with the 3-3-5. They probably need to do a little bit more work on whether they've seen, whether UTEP, the quarterback, has seen a 3-3-5. But, I mean, they have taken themselves out of some games. They have no rushing attack whatsoever. And UTEP is dead last in PFF grading of defensive coverage, uh, which, you know, New Mexico throws the ball only 40% of the time, but uh, that, that's, a really, that's a really bad look for UTEP. I might be on minor nation. Keep an eye on the action app. A couple other games I do want to mention. Western Michigan, weird game. You got late. They beat Pitt, and they had all their defensive backs out. They had three defensive starters out in the secondary. Then they lost one in the first quarter. Pick it through for a million yards, six touchdowns. West Michigan got some turnovers, got some pressure. They're playing a San Jose State team. That's coming off of a Hawaii game, traveling to Kalamazoo and playing early, like their time. This game's early in the afternoon. Eastern, I got to find out the Western Michigan injury situation. San Jose State's offense is a mess, which which I call. They can't, they had no one to throw it to. Nick Starkle's numbers are disgusting because he has no one to throw it to. And their tight end, Deese, got hurt in the first quarter. You got to check on his status. Got to check on all the Western Michigan defensive back status. Western Michigan's coach. I uh, will not be coaching for COVID. He won't be there. A, a lot going on. I might look at Western Michigan first half before any adjustments. San Jose State trying to adjust to the time change. Also, San Jose State's best defensive player, their linebacker and captain, out for the first half for targeting. A lot going on. It's a cool game to check out. But, I mean, San Jose State, the pass offense has gone from really good to just awful. They have no one to throw to. They're throwing to their backup quarterback every other play. Let's yeah. Time for me to be a trash man again. The Trash Man Pick of the Week. I'm the Trash Man. Just throw me in the trash. You're garbage, and you know it. Totally unreliable. Is that it? Undependable. That it? That's it. You've been told off. How do you like that? Good. Let's talk UConn. No, I will not make you play UConn, but I do like this under. I have this game written up on the Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. Wyoming is really slow. UConn plays fast, so it sucks to bet their unders, but they're not going to do anything. 
UConn's offense went 10 quarters against FBS team scoring no points. They finally got 21 in the second against Army's backups. One was a kick return for a touchdown. One was after multiple fourth downs at the very end of the game. The other was a short drive. They, their offense is not going to score here against Wyoming's defense. They benched Mensa, and they said a freshman is going to start at running back. All the receivers are hurt. Their three starting receivers now are freshmen. True freshman quarterback, freshman running back, multiple freshman offensive linemen. It's a mess. This offense is not going to do anything against a really good and deep Wyoming defense. The other side of the ball, Wyoming goes slow. They're methodical. The only strength of Connecticut's defense is their front seven and their interior run defense. It's not really good. They were fooled by the option. But if you look, they played Fresno. They held them to four yards per carry on 38 carries. You look at Purdue. Purdue was like, you know, four and a half yards per carry. Respectable numbers for what you think of UConn. It's, they have a bunch of juniors and seniors. They have some size. Secondary stinks. But that doesn't really matter as much against Wyoming. And here's the key. Against Ball State last week, who Wyoming blew out, they stopped really doing anything in the second half. They got a couple pick sixes, and which made their score look a lot higher. Craig Bowl after the game said, yeah, we because they have a new offensive coordinator. They want to be more balanced, throw a little bit more. He said, yeah, we're, we shut it down in the second half. We don't want to show anything. There's no reason to show this playbook before conference play. So Wyoming out to a big lead here, shut it down. UConn's not scoring. I like the under 55, 54 whatever it is now that's your trash of the week Colin already has you covered with uh Akron any thoughts there and what do you want to add on the rundown I've been to give a shout out to our own uh Brett McMurphy for the Action Network saying that every coach knows what the spread is uh this is a very large spread for a team that's going to go all run in the second half so uh I'm interested to see uh how, how that hurts here because I, I've actually seen Wyoming uh you know trade blows with some other teams so far this year and it's only because it had to be spread related uh, I think a couple that I, I had my eye on just notes. What a, wait, is, what a bizarre, what a bizarre Wyoming team, by the way, they won last minute touchdown to beat Montana state in the opener. Montana yeah. state's head coach is their ex offensive coordinator left long time, by the way. Then they needed a last minute touchdown to beat Northern Illinois in a game. They led 42 to 16 and gave up the lead. And I don't know how 50 to 43 Northern Illinois. Well, I mean, that is so bizarre to me. Um, and then last week they just they shut completely shut down Ball State, blow them out. Drew Plitt gets benched, and uh, finally no drama for Wyoming. But they're off to a three and zero start, and uh, I think they they're not going to UConn's not scoring in this game. I don't think. Look at the second half under here. That's part of the cap. Okay. UMass at Coastal's had my attention all week, and I, this is a third week in a row that I I can't stop paying attention to UMass fielding a backup quarterback and having beating national averages and success rate and passing and passing downs. So I'm looking at the over there. Coastal's 115th and 121st and run pass expected points on defense. They are allowing explosive plays. Buffalo was up and down the field on the ground against Coastal. No one, I don't think anybody was watching that, but you know, UMass is moving the chains. They're 38th in rushing success rate, like 38th in FBS, not in FCS, 38th in FBS and rushing success rate. They're 79th in pass explosiveness. Like I say that with giddy is, I mean, like I'm giddy that this UMass offense is actually throwing the ball. You just need coastal drives to be explosive. And I think with what we have on the UMass defense, that can happen. I, I think instead of this methodical, uh, you know, 14 play drives that coastal has UMass will more than oblige and let you score real fast. So I'm looking at the over on UMass and coastal. You mentioned Washington State and Utah. Uh, I think it's interesting to see how Utah lines up if they just run their base D or if they actually 
rush three, drop eight against uh, the run and shoot for Rolovich. I'm kind of thinking the under there, especially, I don't know what's going on. Charlie Brewer, like done with football, like your college clock is expired. You can't go to the portal. Like what, what's going on there? Like you can't even be a backup. All right, before we get to uh, some quick FCS or no, let's talk stink of the week, a new segment. Smell it, smell it, smell it. It's the smell. It's quite pungent. Dude, plug your nose. It stinks. This is your stink of the week. Some stink of the week here, and that's the line that just looks the fishiest. You know, it's just uh, maybe the, the line has moved and someone you think someone else has seen something or where the line is open. It's just looks a little off and it might give you a little pause. For me, the stink of the week is Florida State plus one and a half at home against Louisville. 0-3 Florida State that's lost to Jacksonville State, blown out by Wake. Louisville coming off that win against UCF. This line tells me Florida State's winning. Stinky. I think one for me is UCLA and Stanford. I mean, Stanford came out early this week and said two of mm-hmm. our defensive backs are going to be out with injury. There's other injuries that are going to hold starters out for Stanford. UCLA, a team that could was being talked about two weeks ago about winning a national title or making the college football playoff. Uh, all of a sudden, they're only four and a half point favorites to Stanford, a Stanford team that's bottom 10 in defensive rushing success rate against that rushing attack of UCLA. Uh, and by the way, UCLA is fifth in, in passing EPA. Uh, I think they're going to be able to dominate the Stanford defense. I don't know what happened to UCLA's brain against Fresno State. Jake Hayner played a game for his life. Sorry to those of you that don't have the Pac-12 network, but uh, that was more Fresno State balling out than it was UCLA. That number stinks to me. That number should be seven. All right, let's move on to some FC yes or no. Southland or SEC? Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FC yes or no. Villanova, they're 3-0. And they have won the last three meetings against Penn State, believe it or not. Uh, last one coming in 1951, but that's besides the point. Penn State obviously coming off of a very emotional win against Auburn with a whiteout. And next week they have Indiana. I've seen like this, this spread around 31, 31 and a half. This game is being played at noon. So there's a couple things at play here for me. Villanova, respectable FCS program. They have a quarterback who's like 25 years old. He's like in the master's program. Very experienced team. They brought back all the starters from the spring. They played a lot of football recently. They just beat Richmond. They scored three touchdowns in the final five minutes to come back and win that game by seven. They run a lot of RPOs. Their quarterback's a pretty good player. But, I mean, they're going to be overwhelmed physically. And But this game is going to mean a lot for them. The, the couple of questions that I have is like, all right, Penn State obviously wants to work on their run game. They couldn't run it. Clifford was excellent when he was at 28 to 32, but they couldn't run it against Auburn. So I think that maybe they want to work on the run game here, but are they going to just get, get a huge lead and then sit on it, work on the run run game? Or I could see, I could see Penn state being down 10, nothing in this game. So I'm, I'm conflicted on how to play it. You know, these are all small limits. Just throw, throw around some change, but I could see Penn state just coming out asleep, right? Noon kick against Villanova after you just had a whiteout with a, you know, Indiana on deck. 
And then Villanova comes out, obviously, with their hair on fire. They're probably going to have, like, a trick play or two. I can see Villanova going up. And then then on the on, on the flip, other side of this, the other side of the coin, anytime James Franklin has played these t- inferior teams, he blows them out by 80. Uh, I mean, you can you can go back to, like, the, the Georgia States, the – the Mac teams that they play, they beat Idaho 72 to nothing, I think two years ago at home. So in summation, I don't know. Try to try to make sense of those thoughts. What do you think? The one that I had my eye on was New Hampshire and Pitt. Pitt has gone over in all three of their games. New Hampshire has gone over in all of their games. And Pitt just lost to Western Michigan. And there is some, I mean, I don't know what's going on with that defense since they played UMass and held UMass to seven points. But Pitt's allowing like points at just a, a ridiculous pace right now. Two teams that haven't had an under yet on the season. Let's go Pitt and uh, New Hampshire on the over at uh, 54. All right, let's, before we get out of here, we've covered a shitload of games. Before we get out of here, we still got more to get to. Let's go. Three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down, we got some Friday night lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Middle Tennessee with a new quarterback at Charlotte. Wake Forest at Virginia. Virginia's top back is out. It's worth noting. Wake Forest off to an undefeated start. Gut says they win that game, even though I don't think the line is too far off. Liberty at Syracuse. Liberty is just under a touchdown favorite at Syracuse. Then UNLV at Fresno State. I'll take that one. Uh, I will be on UNLV for me and uh, you too. I want 31. Like I, I, I keep the keeps going to 30 and a half. It won't go to 31. Uh, the good news is for UNLV. I mean, last week they played Iowa state. Tate Martell was playing quarterback for them. Tate Martell. Um, they were rotating Tate Martell. Tate Martell were like two of six for 20 yards. I, I mean, I, I unbelievable. If you ever watched QB one, you probably don't like Tate Martell, but Doug Brunfield's practicing this week. I like him um, yeah. because you can run, you know, he hasn't been the best quarterback in the world. This UNLV team stinks. But he's averaging 6.8 yards per attempt, at least. All the other quarterbacks, they played four quarterbacks here. 3.5. 3.5. So, Brunfield gives him the best chance to win. He can make some things happen with his legs. Uh, Fresno State just, I mean, in a, they were they acting like they won the Super Bowl. Flat city here. Um, so, I think UNLV, I think this line is inflated after what Fresno did. And I think UNLV can keep this uh, within 30 with Brumfield at, at quarterback. Do you agree there? And then anything else on Friday? 100% agree. Brumfield at quarterback is a game changer. He is absolutely worth uh, points to the spread. I think that's why we've seen a tick down. Uh, it's Every time he gets down below 30, it seems to tick back up. But Brumfield is is the UNLV game changer. Uh, the rest of the team is horrific. But he is uh, something that you can use against a Fresno State team. I am shocked if Jake Hayner is walking this week without some sort of assistance from a crutch or a medic or some meds. I mean, he took a pounding against UCLA. So I, I don't yes, see they probably that. want to get him out of there too. If they get yeah, a big I, lead. I mean, literally could not even walk off the field. He couldn't even walk off the field. It took such a pounding. And, and uh, you know, I think Kalen DeBoer is smart enough to know that we got a long conference season here and we need him to be healthy. So uh, look for UNLV to kind of keep up and stay in it. This Wake Forest and, and some mobile quarterbacks. Mobile quarterbacks have had some success against Fresno this year. So keep that in yeah. mind. Good. Yeah, it's true. I think Wake Forest, Virginia, that's a little bit too high. It's a number that I project down at 63. You mentioned running back being out. Uh, there are things with Wake Forest that I do like defensively. And that's the whole thing is like Wake Forest kind of has a sneaky path in the ACC to do some damage. 
Uh, we know about how explosive their offense can be, especially through the air. But this defense is now 17th in defensive finishing drives. They're 12th in pass coverage. Wake Forest is actually playing a little bit of defense. So the number's high. It should be. Brennan Armstrong, I think, is leading the nation of all Power 5 quarterbacks in passing yards. And they throw the ball 60% of the time now. And, and Wake Forest, they, they firm up when it gets past the 40. So I do like the under here. It's a little bit scary, but it should be more around 63.5 and not the current number of 68.5 at win bet. Uh, by the way, Sam Hartman, I just mentioned that show. It's worth checking out in, in the offseason. But if you watch that show, QB1, it's cool to watch because it's all these guys like that are in college. A lot of them are in college still now. But you would hate Tate Martell, uh, who's somehow still in college. He was one of the original one. And you would love, love Sam Hartman. He's he's the man if you watch that show. If you do, you know what I'm talking about. But it's a pretty good show. But again, anything else on Friday night? No Cuse, no home dog Cuse. Listen, if you freeze isn't in a isn't in a hospital bed, you know, then I can't take liberty here in the Syracuse rematch. Middle Tennessee State Charlotte. Oh god, that game is disgusting. All right, moving on to second down. Let's talk our favorite overdog first. It's called the overdog parlay. For those not familiar, it's a podcast inside joke. That's just our favorite favorite of the weekend. I mean, I already talked about it, Clemson, but I'm also going Ohio State first half. I think Ohio State scores every possession of the first half. But where are you going? Same sentiment with Auburn. Uh, Mike Bobo and uh, Brian Harson are dead set on explosive plays, and uh, they have a backup quarterback. Even after Bo Nix goes out, TJ Finley is going to be able to execute on those explosive plays. So Auburn all the way. And our favorite Moneyline underdog? Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. I got two. I'll let you start. I'll let you start. I'll let you start. I think you're going to take mine here, and I think you're going to take mine on third down. But So I've got two. So go ahead and tell me who you got. Uh, FAU. uh, I mean, look, Air Force beat Navy. Great. I just they were completely inept without their quarterback. And, you know, then they beat an FCS school. Then they played Utah State. They gave up 650 yards to Utah State and lost. Uh, So I have questions about the defense. FAU, look, you got to give Perry credit. He's come in and give this offense a big jump and a big boost, and they're playing well. And the kicker here is, you know, obviously the triple option service academy is a favorite, which I always like to fade. FAU played Georgia Southern, shut them down earlier this year, already saw the triple option, played Georgia Southern last year. So they've seen the triple option a bunch, really experienced defense, good linebackers. So I like Florida Atlantic to pull off this upset here. I'm curious to see who you thought I would have, but I had a couple options. So let's see. Who do well, you got? Well, I actually like that play. I almost going to pause a podcast and put some money down on it. Get, get a few hundred dollar bills over the counter here. Uh, I had two. And the one I'm not going to pick is New Mexico state. I think New Mexico state is improving with every game, which is crazy since the coach has a contract situation where I don't think he's going to get renewed. Uh, New Mexico state is actually starting to bring. I can't believe how much they're scoring. Yeah. So I, that, that they're on my, I know it's 17. It's a large one. We'll see if they end up in the round Robin on Saturday's show. And I haven't made a decision there, but what you're going to, if I don't put them in now, we're going to, we're gonna still going to get them in there. I'm going to go with Western Kentucky. It's uh, the spot of the week coming off a of bye week catching in. Yeah. Catching Indiana uh, in between, in between playing Penn state in between playing Cincinnati, Indiana shot themselves in the foot. They didn't get off the blocks. They had Cincinnati in third and long all day, and they could not execute and get them off the field. That is not a good recipe against a Western Kentucky team that lights people up in the passing game. This is a serious mismatch against 
the coverage ranks of Indiana versus what Western Kentucky can do from a passing perspective with Bailey Zappi, who transferred in with his offensive coordinator from Houston Baptist. Western Kentucky is going to – that comeback they had against Army tells me everything I need to know. The toughness of this team, they can play a little bit of defense, and if Michael Penix still isn't healthy and not hitting his receivers, they have no run game to counter. Give me Western Kentucky to win outright. Zappy hour. It's an all-conference USA underdog money line parlay. What could go wrong? All right. Before we get out of here, let's go third down. And uh, that's our favorite bet of the weekend. All right. My best bet of the week is going to be Clemson minus nine and a half. I would still buy it at minus 10. Uh, this is an NC State defense that has, is 113th in defensive pass rush. They are not getting any pressure on opposing quarterbacks or troubling offensive lines whatsoever. That's the medicine that Clemson needs right now. This offensive line is continually struggling in protecting the quarterback and creating holes on the run blocking. And when you dig into what's going on with Clemson, the offensive line says it's just communication errors. It's just communication. It has nothing to do with talent or ability or hustle. We're going to get it figured out. Now, as far as DJ Uyunglele goes, He's had a little bit of a quick twitch finger. He's trying to get into rhythm with Justin Ross, a guy that he did not get to throw to last year, and Joseph Nagata, who he only completed one pass to last year also. These are things where Clemson is saying that we are we are one step away. We are so close, and with maximum reps, DJ is going to be just fine. And with better communication with the young offensive linemen, we're going to start bombing again. Uh, Jay Dixon has transferred out of the program. Uh, there's a little bit of friction going on there in the running back room. I expect a max effort out of the Clemson offense. And that's going to coincide with a defense that is putting up some of the most unbelievable numbers when, especially when you look at available yards, NC state is going to have issues moving the ball, especially since they didn't execute against Mississippi state where they had three offensive turnovers, gave up a special teams touchdown and whiffed on all their red zone. This Clemson defense isn't even going to let them get to the red zone. Give me Clemson and the big number all the way through 10. Yeah, I agree. Uh, reluctantly, uh, and unfortunately, have to side with Dabo uh, this week. And if he doesn't cover, we, we get to call him out in this podcast at least. Uh, so I agree with you there. Look, this is an awful slate overall. I'm kind of like Brock Tober. I, I just try to get through Brock Purdy. I try to get through September unscathed, and I usually don't try to tread and just survive. So I can't wait for October to get here. I played a lot of ugly games this weekend. A lot of ugly dogs, but uh, I'll say my favorite bet of the weekend. I'll go. Talked about it earlier. Woo, big suey. <laughs> Woo, pig suey. Under, <laughs> under 47 against Texas A&M. Arkansas dealing with offensive injuries going up against just a dynamite Texas A&M defense. It doesn't give up explosive plays. I don't think that they're going to be able to get anything downfield. Uh, and then, you know, they're not playing fast either. Talked about earlier on the show, I think this Arkansas defense is legit. Uh, You know, they added some beef up front. Uh, Their defensive tackle from Illinois State just really turned their defense around. And they have a lot of talent on the back end. I dug into their defense for a couple hours, and it's legit. And they're going up against a Texas A&M offense that is struggling right now. Calzada just doesn't look comfortable. The offensive line, they had to replace four starters. They're moving all kinds of guys around. There's injuries. Their true freshman center is struggling. And then Smith, their most dynamic receiver, might not play. They do a lot with him in the return game and running game. Also, Chapman's already ruled out. So uh, there's a lot going on with this Texas A&M offense, who I also expect to play slow, lean on their run, lean on their defense. Uh, I think that this is uh, a very low-scoring game, defensive battle 
uh, we'll say first to 24 wins this game easily. I think this finishes 20, I'll call it 21. Well, well, let's call it, I'll say final score, 24-17. I'll leave you to pick the winner. So Colin, if you want Arkansas to win, great. But if it's not Arkansas, you can cover your A&M bet. So give me under Arkansas, Texas A&M. Colin, thanks for joining me as always. Thanks everyone to listening. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. We'll do giveaways. Saw a couple of reviews that came through on the app. So big bets on campus, wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a review. Um, we'll, we'll get you some gear out. We appreciate you listening. Let's pick some winners. Enjoy the weekend. We'll catch you all on Twitter. Cheers. Peace out.